This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Okay. The, um, the person that I wanted to speak about this uh, month was somebody called the Maram Shik. And uh, let me just first just be kids to say um, when he lived and who he was, and then we'll speak more about Barichus. He was the Chsam Seifer's Chash um, Talmud. He was a Chsam Seifer's big Talmud. Chsam Seifer himself lived from 1762 to 1839. He lived from 1807 to 1879. And he lived in Hungary. And he is most noted for probably the, um, the, the, the struggle against the reform movement. And um, he's probably the central halachic authority in Hungary at the time. He was considered the some safest chash of the Talmud. And uh, that's probably what he's most known for. We'll try to um, work our way around it and, and get a sense of it. If before I speak about him personally, I'd like to give some sort of sense of the tkufa. Uh, and when we talk about reform movement, exactly what we mean, um, it helps a lot in understanding the backdrop, helps us understand where the thrust of Mulchama was and why and so on. So at the end of the 1700s, there were Jews were beginning for many reasons to start becoming um, free thinkers, let's let's say, it, it followed the pattern of the world, and um, people. First of all, there was there was a liberalization and emancipation in different places, and Jews began to absorb a lot of what was around them, and it expressed itself in different ways. In places like France, for instance, um, assimilation was the big it w- was the thrust of it. As people sort of saw Yiddishkeit as something very, very vague and not so meaningful, they started assimilating to the Goyim. The, um, the, the, the Jews in Poland and in Russia and in Lithuania, for them, Haskola was an end into itself, and people looked for education. They dropped Yiddishkeit in different, varying degrees. And that was the, um, the thrust of, of, of that movement in those countries. In Germany, and then by, and, and by movement into Hungary, um, there the thrust of that movement was reform movement. They wanted to change the, the tzura of the worship. You, you see that the issues that they first began to um, deal with, and the things that they that they wanted to strike at was the um, the worshiping, the ceremony. It's I guess it's because in Germany and to some extent in Hungary, the the, the shul, the synagogue was the was like the focal point of Yiddishkeit, certainly in Germany, and any changes they wanted to make, they wanted to do in the shuls. Now, the changes all had a common denominator, and that is Kiyudua, Christian worship is a lot nicer, um, dignified, 
everything you want, any, any um, adjective you want, and therefore we need to put it in line with it. So instead of the chazan facing the, 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 you know, away from the audience, he'll face the audience. The, um, the beamer, instead of being in the middle, will be up front. Um, the, the, there will be special garments for the, for the clergy. They will have a um, choir. Um, they will have an organ. Um, maybe they'll move Shabbos to Sunday. All sorts of the focal point of reform was to make it church-like, and the services would be in the vernacular. They would daven in German if it need be, or Hungarian, or whatever it is. That was the thrust of the reform movement in Germany and, by extension, Hungary. Now, it's important to remember that a there was no reform movement that sort of had a shita. It's like, you know, they had their shita worked out. It was, everybody wanted something else, basically. And it started with people who had nominally been Orthodox of Frum, and they were Kalidas, and they slowly began, like, so in 1810, they opened up a temple that had major changes from, from the form of worship. Somebody named Jakobsen, Jacobson in Germany, and then they had, they would, they would have um, conferences where they would get together 20, 30, 40 um, new, new type uh, rabbonim, and they would come up with all sorts of things. Another very, very important thing was that they speak all the all the speeches in in the in the in the language of the country, so German, Hungarian, whatever it is. Those were all the types of things that sort of they wanted. Now, I want to, the, the, the Frum jury was very slow in responding. They didn't think it's a threat, they didn't think it was, also the idea of, of any centralized organization was kind of alien to them. Now let me explain um, why the, um, the synagogues and the kahillas were most important in those days. In those days, the, the, in today for instance, if somebody opens up some new shita, some something new in, in um, kind of, uh, I, want, I have a different idea, I want to make something, so I open up whatever it is I want to do, a center, a, a temple, a, a shul, a shtib, whatever I want, and I either attract people or don't attract people, and that's, that's that. In those days, most of the countries, most of the, in most of the communities, the money to support the kehillah functions were were acquired by a tax on the members of the community. The governments in most places did not particularly care to get involved in Jewish affairs, and different ways and different degrees of autonomy. Each community enjoyed an autonomy. They could tax their members, and they did. With the tax, they had the Rav Salah, the Sheikhet, the Talmud Torah, the, 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 the whatever it is that was deemed as important. Whoever collected the tax had phenomenal control. There wasn't money to go around to build alternative moistus. You Everything had to be from community. You also had a tremendous amount of power because 
Remember, most people didn't learn in yeshivas to any extent. Most people, the people who controlled their lives was the community. If you were a, a, a Jew and living in a community and you were ostracized, your life wasn't a life. You had no, no place to go to. You couldn't just melt into a Goyish community. Goyish couldn't accept you either. To, to, to be accepted in a Goyish community, you need to be baptized. There wasn't any real Eitzah. So the communities were extremely powerful in terms of providing the services and also um, having a very strong hand on forcing people to go in a certain way. Being that, so whoever controlled the community was, was de facto, that's what the community would be. And that's why the struggle began for the communities. The reform or reformists, they decided to start getting the government involved. In Hungary, we're talking about specifically. And basically they wanted, they convinced the government that the Jews are backwards and ignorant, etc., etc., because of, of this. So they proposed to the government that the Jews form a, um, a, a Congress. And in, 18, uh, it was in 1848, I believe it was, in, in, um, in, in uh, I think it was 1868 actually, 1868, in, in Hungary, they had what's called the Jewish Congress. Um, by all accounts, the, it, it was sort of, um, what's the right word for it? The, 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 they managed to get more fry people to be um, representatives. And once you're representative, then you, know, that's, you vote like you w want to vote. And they basically established, um, they, they tried to get, they, they tried to compromise, the firm of tried to compromise that the one thing that has to be the assault of this, of this Jewish, old Jewish organization of, would be that the Shoharach is binding on everyone. And they were voted out and down. So the vast majority of the Frum Rabbanim left the Congress. They appealed to the king to make their own community and he granted it. So we have two communities now. We had what was called the Neologian community um, neologian means new theology, kind of the new, the, 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 the new, uh, the, the new people. That was one group, and you had the Uraim, which would be comparable to Haredim today. And there was a small group of people, and they formed a group which is kind of new. They never, from people had never been together in a group. Um, and then you had people of a few communities, Chasher Abanim actually who didn't care to go in either direction, they just didn't want, they preferred that things remained the way they were always, and they were called <coughs> status quo, uh, anti, status quo anti, A-N-T-E. Now, that was the, so you had neologians who were fairly equivalent to reform today, you had the Haredim, and then you had the small group of status quo. They, the the um, the the Haredim in Hungary, the Frum people in Hungary decided that cutting themselves off totally from the main community is the only way to go. I mean, they totally, totally cut themselves off. You can't you can't get married with their children. You can't eat by them. They really, really separated the two camps, 
they also fought the status quo people very bitterly. They felt that the status quo people were ruining things because if every community stays by itself, it'll be captured by the by the Freya people. So they battled them as well. And that was the status of Hungarian Jewry vis-a-vis the reform. Relating Ramshik and some of his godless and his points and so on, first of all, where did I get the information from? So there is like like um, always the most reliable place is his own works he wrote a tremendous amount of chuvis there's a lot of chuvis Hidushim, and there's igris letters which tend to be a very revealing about a person his life and so on you're never sure that they printed all the letters and um, occasionally have letters with piece left out but but by and large those those are extremely good indications that's one two there is a safer called um darke moisha hechadash the Dark Moshe is a Pirish Ramon the Tour. Dark Moshe Chodesh is his biography. It's a collection of Talmidim of his that they asked about him. Talmidim, children, and basically that's what it is. It's, it's simply quotations, extensive quotations from Talmidim, Talmidim, Talmidim. And that's, that's I guess, is accurate in as much as it's, it's a, um, it, these are quotes, quotations, direct quotes. You also have, I've mentioned his name a few times, somebody named Rebuter Greenwald, who was a Hungarian Rav. He ended up in America being Rav in Columbus, Ohio. He wrote Kolbe Anavelis. He also wrote a lot, a lot of historical stuff. And, and the stuff that writes historic, the historic material, it's, it's done well. A, he footnotes everything, where he got the information from, and what he's quoting, and, and where is he coming from, which is vital to, to have a sense that the person, at least, there's some basis for what he said. And he also sort of tries to give historical interpretation. I, I would like to share, it doesn't have to be Ram a lot, but I'd like to share two points that he, two or three points that he makes about the, the fight of the Frum people against reform. He obviously was very Frum, he's, he's a Haredi person, but he felt that the, that, that the, that the, the machlok, that the way it was fought was inept to the nth degree. He said the Rabbanim didn't recognize the danger as it was happening. <coughs> They never bothered to take note of what's going on. It wasn't until they actually formed a group and sort of made all this, started making a lot of shuls that they finally woke up. That's one. Two, he said they had an asifa for a few days, and he said they came out with what he felt was the most inane, um, silly um, it, 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 so summation of the situation. They said the reason why you have to reform because you have a lot of Rabbanim who don't know enough Shulharach in your day and stuff like that. So from now on, the Rabbanim are going to check up on all the Talmud Tairis and the Chadarim that they're learning well and that they give smich only people know your day and things like that really well. And also people shouldn't, there be Nichshon Ribis, well, I don't know, not clear what that Shaykh has had, and, and, and things like that. It, it, it seemed, he felt, this Rav Greenwald felt that the, 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 the stupidest part of it was that they prohibited people from speaking speeches in, in Hungarian. Being, be, he said the one thing the reform had going for them was they had very powerful speakers. Their Rabbanim were called predigers, which means preachers. And um, they, were, they could speak and, and sway people. The, the, if by, by, by tying yourself down to speak only Yiddish, you automatically lost them. 
And he said, you know, in Germany, Yad Chacham Bernays, who was the Rav Paul Hirsch's Rebbe, he, he was a masterful speaker. Rav Paul Hirsch was a phenomenal speaker. Very, very powerful, very inspiring, extremely articulate. And he said, you, you, there were few people who could speak well in Hungarian, and they instead were busy making haramim against them and isurim against them, and that's why he said they were shooting themselves in the foot. That's his observation. I'll, you know, that's his own personal observation. Let's go to Ramshik. So those are my sources. So Ramshik came to, he was from a little town called Breise, Moshe Breise. He came to Pressburg, he was just at a young age, he came to Pressburg as a young boy, maybe 13 or 14, and he was very short also. So he looked like a, like a, like a kid. He, he wanted to learn about some cipher. And some Seifer, he was standing, so he, he, he came to the yeshiva there, and he told some Seifer that he wants to come in. And some Seifer looked at him and said, you know, my yeshiva is for grown-up people, not for little kids. And he, he said a little bit of a, Erzachos, the word breize, in Yiddish, a breize means a little crumb, a little nothingness. So like he said, you know, I, I mean, I, I can't take you, you know, you're brizel. So he insisted that if I heard, if I heard him, the Chsam Seifer was very enamored by him. And Chsam Seifer told him, you'll eat by Mishabasim. He, he learned six years in Yeshiva by him. And he ate Shabbos, I think three years he ate Shabbos in Yontif, every Suda by the Chsam Seifer. Chsam Seifer adored him. He once fell asleep on the Chsam Seifer, and the Talmud wanted to wake him up, and Chsam Seifer said, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a shelf of svarim laying on me. You can't move the shelf. He was extremely. Now he, he himself, his son-in-law, writes that the the the, the, the Ramshik told him when he was young, he was very thick-headed, and he said, and the Malamdim had to explain the Gemara over and over to him till he got it, and he said he never let him get it down. He would just keep chazering and chazering and chazering until finally. He got it, and he he was the of his asmada. Um, he was noted for his phenomenal asmada. Everyone who writes about him, he would never. He was extremely macros talmidim about asmada. That's an, another. It's part of his personality. He was also stickler for emes and yashris, tremendous onav, and. Very, very. He had a certain, um, a certain very weighty way of approaching problems. And we'll see. So I first want to look at one or two letters that speak about, I guess, is there halimud and uh, things of that nature. David, I think you always have the um, the flashlight of some sort. If we can have that, that would be very good. Okay, this I, I wanted to read two things um, that are fascinating in terms of his adrocha to Talmidim and his a letter, a very sharp letter that he writes to a future son-in-law of his, uh, Divri Musa. He writes a letter to his son, to his youngest, to his I believe it's his youngest, no, it's his oldest son. He says, um, I'm very happy you got to yeshiva. And you know, this is Hine says, Ahuvi Benisha Yechia. Don't do anything without thinking it through 
both right side, both right and left. You know, look at both sides and then decide what's their chayasha. In other words, don't do things by whim. Think through something and then go. Every night in Erev Shabbos, make a chesbun and nefesh what you accomplished that day or that week. If you did a lot or just a bit here and a bit there. And he said, it's, bo- it's, it's better to do less but understand the shorish and where you're coming from and what you're doing than doing a lot but without knowing what you're doing and where you're doing and how you're doing. He said, and don't be somebody who talks more than he thinks. Um, what else he says? He says, um, everything that you learn, you should have a chavrusa and a good chavrusa. Um, he says, chazor v'chazor l'itis p'nai v'dor keep chazering and don't wait to chazer till you forget. Um, let's see what else is interesting. He says, um, be careful about your health and don't, don't do things that would damage your health. Don't try to be an Eibachachem and be up at night more than you can. Walk, take a walk every day and speak and learning while you're walking. Cleanliness is a meter that brings to important meters and nefesh, so try to be clean um, and be Oyev Shalom and so on. And other things like that also. And he says, um, write uh, answer me in a week or two and answer your mother in Yiddish because the Hebrew that you write she's not going to understand and she should have uh, a letter and so on. This is one to his son-in-law, future son-in-law. He says, Achayim HaShalom to the Bacha the Chassan who is, who is supposed to be my son-in-law. I got you both letters. And he said, um, the first letter I see you got a Mazel tov, that's nice. The second letter he said, I saw things that I really feel I need to give you Teichacha. His son had written, his switch son had written to him that he has a skvias that before he goes to sleep, he thinks of learning, and he's writing a Chiddush that he thought of that. He says, you write that you think of learning before sleeping. He says, it's not appropriate that a person go around talking about himself if he does something good. Um, he says, uh, the only header for that is if you want somebody to learn from you. If, uh, um, and, and, uh, and it's not a derech that a person talk about himself because in the end people don't even believe it and they just think you're just boasting idly. So he said, I don't understand, like, why, why tell me this one of the things you're doing? It's not a novistic and it's not smart either. Um, now, his second point, he said, you know, when you, when you write somebody Torah, you expect that you write the best, but don't tell me the stuff that, as you're drifting off to sleep, you wrote for me. <laughs> as I said, and why don't you why don't you think that maybe it's a fantasy and not seichel? I said, halavai, what a person works hard on, and uh, and learns is t- is is good, and and you write that this just fell into your head as you went to sleep, and you think it's even a mila. He says, and I must tell you that look at the shtikel Taira, it is curve the divichaloimis, he says. Um, and then he says he knocks off his tire and so on. And he said, and I want to tell you, I, I wrote these things because I want to impress on you. You should focus on learning the sugi be'iyun and not waste your time trying to do chidushim because chidushim are come automatically. If you learn well and you learn shtak chidushim come automatically, and, and that's that. So that's, um, those are two interesting things, just in terms of Adracha. 
and in his in the other ones in the uh, descriptions in in uh, Shalom, he has his seder yom with talmidim. So four days a week he said a shir, one day a week he fahered the talmidim. He never ever said a shir that there wouldn't be a faher afterwards. Like Yontib, Shabbos, a Yontib, he would say like a special shir in Yonah Yaima, and it'd be a faher later on the day on the shir that he said. And he said on a Simchas Torah, um, the, the, the Gabbai was in a good mood, so he, he, he made a Mishaberach for, for the Rav, and he said, Bavur, they're going to give a shear without testing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Maram Sheikh said, no way. <laughs> and, 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 you know, he said, this, that's, not, that's not what I said, and he gave a test. That was, he, he was extreme active. He writes as Talmidim, and Asmoda, I mean, this, uh, he writes on Hanukkah, before Hanukkah, he got up and told Talmidim, anybody is going to play any games on Hanukkah, he's going to play cards, he's playing this, that, he said, please leave immediately. No, you know, it's, it's a waste of time, and it's nonsense, and so on. The next section in the letters, this is a very, very um, important, is um, Rabbanis. Now, l- let's try to understand a little bit some of the issues. Like we said before, in those th- today we, we don't actually have that picture so much. Today the focal points of, of communities are either Rosh Hashivas, Yeshiva, Rebbes and Chsidim. A Rav and a community is rare that you have that type of, 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 of strong leadership. Um, in those days the Rabbanis was the focal point. And there were a lot of lot of problems, machlokis and things of that nature. And Ramshik as the as the Khashiv, in his early years of his life, first twenty-five years or so of his of his rabbinic career, he was in a small town called Yergin, which was like sort of a suburb of Pressburg or, or not like a resort area near Pressburg. And he was able to sit and learn basically. And his last fifteen years or so, he was um, in a uh, in Chust, which was a major city, and it 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 was also a very very uh, was a center of 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 a whole of Marmarish, and um, he would answer to Rabban Malova and a lot of fights. Let me describe. So I, I want to first Balper describes. So the importance of a Rav's absolute domination of his, you know, of, of, of his area and people not being able to do things without the Rav's consent was vital. He himself, even though he was recognized as the Godel, if he was asked a Shaila by any community that had a Rav, he refused to answer. He would sometimes write and say, I felt the need to be methodical with you, but none of this can be construed to be upset because you have your local mayor Rav. There were, there were a few letters where he explains himself to Rav. I happened to be in the town, and there was an emergency. There was a, there was a, a Moyle's father was Nifta, and there was Shaila Shri the British, or this, and they, you weren't around. That's the only reason I'd answer. I would never answer somebody else's city. That was one thing that was extremely important to him. Two, there would be fights who to take as a Rav, and the fights could turn ugly sometimes, many times. Um, third of all, you had issues where you had Rabbanim that were Gedolei Torah, but were beginning to become reform. It's something that we have a very hard time. For us, somebody reform is born and bred reform. It's not. Th- imagine somebody that he calls Hagoyin Rav so and so, but is very, very 
um, wary of him is incredible. But that, that was the situation. People went from being a going, uh, a recognized Godel to, to being reformed. Um, and, and so you had a bottom like that in towns that people were becoming wary and the question was could they move on? Could they take somebody else? Could they throw them out? And the third issue was Chassidim were beginning to come into these communities. The Chassidim wanted to open up their own minyanim. Some of the Rabbanim said, no way, I'm the Rav, there's one minyan, there's one minyan, you can't do that. Some of the Chassidim wanted to have their own sheichet. And the Rav would Asadeshchita and say it's Nevela, because he has, he has that ability as a Maradastra. How should we deal with the Chassidim? They called him Sfardim, that's the way we would call him, but it, was, it meant, it meant Chassidim, this is Sfard. He himself had a fascinating relationship. There, someone asked him about it. Ram Shik was extremely close to the Sigit Rav, and it was it was the forerunner of the the, the it was the Yitav Lev, the forerunner of Satma, and there would be a Didas Atsuma. Um, the uh, he used to send anybody who came to for brachas. He used to ship off to the Yitav Lev and say he knows how to do these brachas. Go to him. So he once met, so, so the Yitzhak told him, you know what, I'm so tired of you sending people to me, I'll teach you how to do brachas, and, and you know, you'll be able to do it. It was like, you know, joking. On the other hand, there was a different rabbi that lived in his town, and never went into the Ramshik to say shalom. And uh, someone asked the Ramshik, like, how do you explain it? The, the chutzpah? He said it's like two very different and whatever, he was very diplomatic about it. But that was the type of situation so it undermined also the Rabbanis. How would the Rabbanis react to it? Those are the type of things. First thing I want to read is a letter about um, somebody who had an issue with a Rav in a town and people, he, he spoke out against him and so on. So he says like this, I got your letter. And he says, it bothers me. If B'nai Torah talk openly in other words, in public, they say that the Rav was wrong in Paskening. So he said, I, I, I think that's a terrible thing. He said, if you have a problem, go and argue with the Rav. And if, and if, and if you don't seem to come to an agreement, he says, go to a different, go to a different Besden. But he says to go publicly, he says, that's a terrible thing. Um, he then has, there were some parishes over here of, um, this was a, a, a town in Ungvar, where um, they tried, they, they brought in like a reform type person to take over, to become a, a sheikhit, and letters back and forth with all sorts of, um, you know, very strong against, he has no right to go in there, and forget about his religious affiliation, just how can a, this is another fascinating one. This was a story, this is an example of the type of friction between Chassidim and the, um, the, the Rabbonim. This is written to the Rav in Barsha. And what happened was as follows. The, the Rav had a Vizhnitsa community that lived in that city. The Rav, they, somebody said that the Vizhnitsa Rebbe had written a sefer called Tzemach Tzadik. There's a sefer Tzemach Tzadik for Vizhnitz. So one of the Chassidim said, Tzemach is Begimatri Menachem. That means that the Rebbe is Mashiach. <laughs> Serious. The, um, so, he's, so the Rav said that absolutely nonsense, you're not allowed to say it. The Chassidim said, the Rav 
is is not bikiris. He, he no munas chachamim, and 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 therefore he, he's totally to be ignored. They 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 took their own sheichet. They took their own rav, and 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 they ran with it. And he writes a very strong letter. He said, "I was so upset what I heard about what they did to the rav. He's been 15 years the rav, and he's a adam chashuv." He said, people got up there and they put him to Cherem and, uh, and the Rav says, I'm going to go on a Besen to clarify the matter. There was nothing I said that was wrong in anything. So he said, so even though it says Shemoy ben Achechem, I shouldn't be speaking just having heard from one side, but he said, an issue where people have gotten up and said such strong things about a Rav, really needs a reply. And he says, first of all, the, the cherem they made has no validity, explains why in Sad cherem. Secondly, he says um, they had no right to cut his salary, no right to take someone else instead of him. It's absolutely awesome. He says, if you want to go to Besdin, then you have to go to Besdin. There's no right to do anything even before you go to Besdin. And he said, even out here on the other side, um, you know, uh, it's it, you know, th- there's no way in what you did was right. Very powerful, and uh, he says it brings a verse from some cipher. He says to you, the Barsha community, how long will you destroy things and burn things with your haram and iduyim? It's no covered provision to Rebbe, and I'm sure he doesn't want to, to, to it to happen. And there's some seifers that used to say on, on a pasuk in Mishlei, it says, When, when a Baruch likes a person, what a person is doing, even the enemies will live in peace with him. So some seifers used to say that if two people are fighting and they want different things, they'll never agree. But if they want the same thing and the argument is how to get there, then, then, then eventually they can make peace. So it says, if if Ratzin Hashem is what the people want, then there's the next one is a letter from the Sigit at him that the people that said this the visions had never said it and it's Tamashek about the vision and they, they never said such a thing and and and, and the whole Kolkoya was not at MS. You know, it, it, things never change. And and you know, they claim that the other side made up the, the, the things about them and so on and so forth, on and on. There is another one about a Rav in a community and this is Kloisenberg and there's an issue over here of they wanted to make Nusachsparad. He said, so the Kloisenberg Rav was Glasner, Avram Glasner. Avram Glasner has a great-grandson who lives in White Oak and Glasner, and he's um, they, they call it. He, his, he put out a safer. It's called Andorvi, and um, they opened up a Chiddush Minyan, and the Chiddush Minyan that was their own thing, and uh, they made their own community basically. So he the, he the the Rav Glasner wrote this. It's wrong. It's awesome. How can they do it? So he says, um, so he basically makes Seder. He says, listen, it may not be appropriate what they did, but it's not smart to stop it. He said, um, it's not us 100%. He said, they don't have a right to take away from 
your salary they have to keep supporting it but you should not be stopping them doing what they're doing and he says you should only go to the interior if money if there's a monetary issue that they're taking away dues or whatever but if they're doing right or wrong, leave them be. And Hazal said, and that's that. There's another argument there. There's a Rav who, who was upset with this community. And the community said that they want to... He, he writes, this Rav seemed to be um, much more noted to reform and so on. And he tainted that the new people have no business opening up the community. And you see in his tshuva that he walks a delicate line. Like, he, he, he's not, he, he doesn't want to come out against someone when he's not clear to him if this person is wrong or not. But he, on the other hand, he doesn't want to prevent the other community from taking somebody. And you see that he sort of walks in raindrops. Someone else was very upset about Sidim and he said that, you know, compromise is not good. What we should do is we should go to a Bezdin. We should argue it out with with um, with with Pilpul. In other words, I'll bring rice. They'll bring rice. And they told him it's nonsense. There's not going to be any riots. Not going to be anything like that. No one ever won with that. Very 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 uh, down to earth uh, advice on these things. Um, what other things? So a lot of a lot of the things are about. Um, communities in Rabbanim, modern Rabbanim, the Zaspad Rabbanim, now that seemed to be a big a big issue. There's another thing, there was a Rav that they caught, that they caught wrong things, they felt that the Rav had done some things wrong, and they had many accusations against him, one of them they felt that he had stolen money from the community. Um, and he writes that um, he, he's done which issues and how to resolve them, and when they have a right to push them away, when not, very, very strong. One more fascinating letter, and this is people, it, 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 there was a Rav, a very hush of a Rav, in Berlin, named Rav Israel Hildesheimer. Rav Israel Hildesheimer had a seminary in, in, um, in, in Berlin. He was a Yari Vachar, a very hush of a person, and Dr. Gretz, who was a historian, sort of the beginning of the conservative movement. He had been actually, had learned to Reb Shonfal Hirsch and basically left the Derech. He was somewhere between reform and conservative. He had gone to Eretz Yisrael and came back with a terrible report that Eretz Yisrael is terrible, and goes on there is horrible, and so on and so forth, by the Frum people, obviously. So he writes back a very strong letter against him. So the four tinnies that Dr. Gretz had was, that there's a lot of politics in Israel, a lot of groups are killing each other. So he writes, yes, it would be better that we miss Achit. But he says, until a Yorana becomes, it's not going to happen. So what's the point of it? <laughs> Two, that in Israel, even wealthy people would take the money that was collected. They felt it was a school or whatever it is. And he writes on it, uh, um, the third, he writes, Gretz said that because they marry young, they have all sorts of um, Down syndrome and crazy children, and uh, and they're loose and all over the place and so forth. He said he's never seen anything like that. I don't know what he's talking about. And fourth, he said that they don't have any schools, 
sort of very primitive and um, and so on and he, he answers him back very very sharply about uh, you know these young it was obviously it, it was obviously done with the desire to knock the the people in in their Tisrael, the from people not any different there was one more letter that I wanted to share um, somebody wrote a safer in Pressburg a from person and he said um, he's already put out a, a safer that had a lot of us comments. Now, he says, let me quote you a piece from this. He says, um, the, uh, he, he writes that basically that Rabbanim sit and writes for him, they learn Pilpul all day and sit and writes for him all day on Pilpul and so on. They, they, um, there's not much to add to it, it's just rehashing the same old stuff. They'd be much better off writing um, all sorts of remazim on Chumash, gematrius and stuff like that. Um, he, um, and this is a letter to him, and he writes um, very sharply about it, and so on. But very fascinating. So this was a letter that had a lot of. This was a sefer that had a lot of haskamis, and um, and he really, really writes very sharply about it. Alkapadim, um, he he really was the one who sort of laid down the the uh, what I would say the format for Hungarian Jewry um, and how they would live afterwards. Um, the the idea of being misbadal from the other communities was very sharp. Now, if you'll take a look, and it's one of the things that's hard for us to understand today, since the majority of the issues had to do with the shul, they were like yaharag val yavr with with things of of shuls. It's asagama to daven shul where the beam is not the middle. It's asagama to daven shul that had a dome on the shul. It's asagama this, asagama that. They were very macrim and hugging. Someone wrote to him that they used to have the drushes before laning, and people coming and going were disruptive, so he moved it to before musaf. And even though it's a little bit of a lochic issue with ashray, you know, because do you say ashray before, is it ashray after? So he writes to him, he says, it's best not to change it in Mihogim. If you have no choice and it's really impossible, fine, it's not a halacha. But, but as, as a kav, and the reason was because the reform in, in, in Berlin, in Germany, and in Hungary, the, their main thrust was to adapt the customs. And, and that was what it was about. And therefore, if you gave an inch, you gave a foot, and you gave the whole thing away. I don't know if that applies, so people will quote Hungarian Sfarim, Chuba Sfarim, this is Osegoma, Osumuchla, this is terrible, this is Yarek Valyavr. It was true in Hungary. In Hungary, the sense was that the battleground is on a Kutzel Yud. He has, uh, I have a fascinating, I have uh, a Machutin, his name is Friedman, he's a, he's, um, he's a, uh, a, grand, a grandchild of some Seifer and a Kibega. And he lives. He's a. He's in, he lives in Toronto. He's a. He's a. He's sort of a curly young man. I mean, he's an older person, and so he always digs up all sorts of interesting things. He brings one of his chuvas. Are you allowed to carry a nifter on horse and wagon instead of carrying him like they do not necessarily on, on on your back? And again, he writes 
that certainly it's not appropriate to be Mishana from Minhagim, but again, if there's a very big David and so on. A hundred years later, there's a Shaila, do you have to use a horse and wagon or can you use a car? And again, it's a very modern thing, and being Mishana from Minhagim and so on and so forth. There was a lot of, there's a lot of sort of um, poking fun at, at their fanaticism at Minhagim. But the truth was, and in Germany also, Hirsch, but the German Jews, they became fanatic about everything because that was the only way to stop it. Um, it, it there are different places where Hirsch adopted it in a way that in Germany worked. But in Hungary, the Marshik was the person who basically led the Muhammad. He himself actually was in favor of having drushes in Hungarian if it needed to be. That was one of the issues that he felt differently on Rabbanim. But once everybody voted against it, he was a fatal dieter and, and he criticized someone else for doing it. He said, listen, I thought it's right, I think it's right, but if the majority voted against me, you know, we have to go, we should go with, with the majority. And um, in many ways, that was the strongest. In, in I, I knew a Yid, he was an Adam, big Talmud Chacham, and of the, of the people of you who know of Tzvi Koshlevsky in Yisrael, very big Rashi, very Chashal Chacham, his father was Elia Koshlevsky. He had learned with my father together in, in Lita, in, in Slabotka, and he was a neighbor of mine. And a very thoughtful person, very intelligent person. I mean, he's a big time Chacham. He was a Rav Beersheva for many years. He told me that as a Bacher, he decided to go to visit all the different countries in East Europe. He was he, he was an interesting person. He liked to, and he said, the only country that Yiddishkeit would have survived if not for the war was Hungary. He said, in every other place, it was a downhill. Uh, it, it, everything was going downhill. And Hungary was the only place where you saw a viable community continuing. Um, he, and he was no fan of Hungarians, I assure you. He was a Litvak <laughs> through and through. There was nothing... He, he, he said it out of a sense of begrudging Emmis, not out of, not out of uh, being a, a fan of it. But Lemaise, it, it was him. And, and you know, the, 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 the strength of Rabbanis, the strength of community, and the Chachma of understanding that the chassidim, despite the fact that they're not doing right the way they're going about it, you have to learn to live with them because Yiddishkeit will stay with them. They're Yireim, they're Shleimim. You have to, you have to figure out a way to, to live with them better. Okay. What? The same thing. I mean, 